0: But uh, we were talking about the crisis in Ukraine. And I don't know, many of you have been following it probably every day. Uh, <clears throat> this morning I learned from Brother Kent as we were uh, back in the deacons meeting uh, praying before church, which is what we always do. And I'm very grateful to the deacons for doing that. Um, we learned that uh, a couple of journalists, American journalists, have been killed. And uh, so the situation remains very volatile. When we talked this week via email, uh, I had raised the issue of what are we doing preaching about the atrocity because preaching at its core needs to be uh, looking at the world in which we live. And at some point, the pastor has to make a call whether to address the situation, and I know I did on 9-11, and I'm sure most pastors in in America addressed it. Uh, it should be rare, but I think when we look at the Ukraine situation, and I've been following it a lot, I get updates on my phone. Uh, I've been praying a lot for them, and so it was a burden on me, and some of the other pastors have decided to... Um, look at what I did. And so some of them are preaching on it this morning. And what I wanna do is just draw attention to what's happening in Ukraine and how the church should respond. How should we respond? I, some say, well, we're just a small church. We can't do anything. That's not true. Um, and so I wanna look at that this morning uh, briefly. And then at the end of the service, I'd like people to come up and we will pray for the people of Ukraine. Now, and also Kent reported that uh, the Russian soldiers are now 15 miles from the border of Poland, which is where one of these reporters were killed this morning or today. So when we look at Ukraine we've heard a lot about Odessa. Now this map was as of March 7th. And like I said, maybe I overfollow this, but it's you have to realize this is one of the biggest invasions since World War II. And so it's it's not it's not a oh well, it's a little skirmish. This is a full-scale invasion. So the Ukrainian military is right in this area. They also have some down there, and obviously they have some up here. The 40-mile-long the convoy that's dispersed, they're not really sure why. And you see to the west, you have all of these refugees coming in. Millions of refugees that have been ripped from their homes. And now what's happening is hospitals are being bombed. And one of the Ukrainian uh, officials said it was an accident. Reports, huh? Russian. Russian officials reported that it was an accident. There have been 13 accidents in Ukraine b- bombing hospitals, taking out cities. This is an atrocity. And Vladimir Putin. I may get pushback from this. I'm not really concerned about it. Vladimir Putin should be held for war crimes against humanity. He should be. And hopefully, he will. Because what we're seeing here is an invasion into a sovereign country, and the reason Putin is doing this is because he doesn't trust NATO. That's the ultimate reason. Plus, he thinks that Ukraine is actually his country. When we think about the Ukraine, we we think about people who are caught in the middle, who are being destroyed, their cities. It's going to take years. And by the way, if Putin's ultimate goal is to capture Ukraine and take it over as a Russian uh, state, that's not gonna happen for years because of the resistance of the Ukrainian people who are entrenched, ready to fight them, and it becomes an Afghanistan-type situation where they have to go house to house, door to door, and that will drag on for years. So what we need to do as a church, number one is pray for the people of Ukraine, pray for some off-ramp to where Putin can be satisfied, but what Putin is bringing to the table, as far as I know, is unacceptable to the Ukrainian people and to their president. So, what about Ukraine? And don't worry, I'm gonna get into the Good Samaritan in just a minute. It's the second largest continent in Europe, Russia is the largest. So we're talking roughly about the size of Texas. So I want you to think of Ukraine, Texas, you think of Dallas, think of Kiev, Kiev, however you pronounce it, you wanna pronounce it. Um, You have Houston, you have San Antonio, you have Austin, you have Fort Hood, you have all of these areas. And think about what it would take to take over Texas. It's a rather large state. By the way, when I, <clears throat> when I re-enlisted in 1983, in 1983, that's right. <laughs> uh, when I re-enlisted, I drove from Fort Hood, Texas all the way to California. And the majority of that drive took place in Texas. Hours and hours and hours of travel. So Ukraine, even though we look at Texas, we go, that's a small place. It's not really. It it, it takes from the top of Texas down to the bottom about 13 hours. And it seems like I I kept, when I was driving out to Oakland or up to San Diego and up to Oakland, I kept asking, when am I going to get out of Texas? (laughs) It was like forever. Long, long drive. So it's roughly the size of Texas. The population of Ukraine, um, 41 million people minus Crimea and some other pockets that Russia has now annexed and is considered part of Ukraine. By the way, Crimea is down at the bottom, the southern end of Ukraine, which they took over in 2015, the Russians did, when they invaded 77.8% 77.8% of the population are Ukrainian. That means they're people from Ukraine. 17%, 173 are Russian, which gives us a total of 95% of the population are either Russian or Ukrainian. And then 5% Polish, there's some Romanians, there's other uh, people living there. What we're looking at here is one of the Biggest humanitarian crisis that we've seen since World War II, and it's really something that the church needs to be praying about. Because if Kent, what Brother Kent was saying is true, and they're 15 miles from Poland, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what Vladimir Putin's thinking. But I knew. I do know this. He's desperate. Anytime you use dirty bombs, and any time you bomb hospitals, I know uh, some say he wants to break the will of the people, that's not gonna happen. But the carnage that's left behind is, is unfathomable. I mean, you just can't begin to believe. Uh, think, think about it this way. Champagne being leveled, and then people leaving. It's, it's really, really difficult. I want you to understand that, and, and to feel compassion, because what we're gonna look at here in a minute uh hopefully we'll reveal that. So this morning we're going to look at the parable of a good Samaritan. Uh, Grant Osborne, uh, when I took his class, uh, this was years, years ago now, but um, Grant Osborne wrote a book called The Hermeneutical Spiral and How to Do Biblical Interpretation. And in his uh, book, I reread some of it this week, He writes this, The importance of parables is evident when we realize that fully a third of Jesus' teaching in the synoptic gospel come in parabolic form. One third. That's 33%. 33 33.3. That's a chunk of Jesus' parables were stories. Stories that have a point. Parables have one point. And the one we're looking at this morning... When you look at the Hebrew word, mishal, that's the word for parable. It's used for a proverb or a riddle and has the basic idea of comparison. So when we look at a parable, it's basically a narrative. It's it's a story that's told for one particular purpose. But that purpose is some form of comparison. Now, if you have your Bibles there, we're going to... pick up the narrative in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Of course he did. That's what they wanted to do under Jesus' whole ministry. He writes, he he says this, teacher, what shall I do to to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? That is the law of Moses. How do you read it? So the lawyer is asking a question. Jesus pushes back and says, okay, what does the law say? And how do you read, interpret that law? He answered correctly. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, and Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you shall live. Now, the lawyer doesn't stop there because he's really concerned about who his neighbor is. And I've heard a lot of talk from politicians and alike that we shouldn't do anything in Ukraine. Well, just listen. But he, desiring to justify himself, said, who is my neighbor? So Jesus knew the situation. He knew that this lawyer was only testing him. He did have the right answer, but he was really driving at the question, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus breaks out into the parable of the good Samaritan. And three things, just three things this morning I want to look at. First of all, people experience crisis every day people experience crisis every day now notice what jesus says he starts the parable in verse 30 a man was going down from jerusalem to jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead so let's look at let's look at jerusalem for a moment this is modern day jerusalem You'll notice that Jerusalem's up on a hill, so when Jesus says there was a man that went from Jerusalem down to Jericho, he would have traveled down. That's absolutely true. in In fact, it's twenty five hundred feet above sea level Jerusalem is. Now, the Jerusalem travel, I know it looks rather small here, but you see Jerusalem. You go through this this uh, rocky terrain you go down to Jericho. Jericho is roughly 17 to 25 miles from Jerusalem. So it's not an easy trek, depending on how fast you can walk. If you can walk 12 miles a day, you're looking at two days journey. And it, it, it was dangerous back then. It was a dangerous situation that they found themselves in this, in this story. One commentary, Trent Butler, said this. Criminals took advantage of the upper classes' need to travel this winding, crooked road through dangerous passes. They hid behind large rocks and above narrow passages and preyed on travelers. So you get this situation. Jesus said a man went from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and they would have known that road very well. They would have known it would have been very dangerous. And so these, these robbers would hide and they would jump out and they would prey on these travelers. And very often they would beat them and take everything that they had and in some cases would actually kill them. And I started thinking about the situation in Ukraine. Uh, This is a grandmother holding her grandchild. This, I don't know why this is hitting me so hard, but it just the, the, the fact that people can be one day shopping, walking down the center of their town, and the next day have that town obliterated. It's very difficult. And a lot of Christians now are starting to respond, thank God, Uh, And I also know that uh, a lot of the Russian soldiers, they're 18 to 19 years old. They have no combat experience. And this is playing out now on the battlefield, why they haven't been able to move in and take some of these larger cities totally. The fact is, there's a lot of people that are suffering this morning. So he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. You know, let me, let me stop and say this. This is not just about Ukraine. We have people around us every day that are going through crisis. Maybe our next door neighbor, maybe a family member, maybe a social group. People go through crisis every day. And then there's two ways that we can respond to those crises. Some people will not stop to help. Now Jesus goes on and says, Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. Jesus mentions here a priest. The priest was from the the, uh, descendants of Aaron. They were in charge of temple sacrifices. They were also in charge of purification rites. Uh, So here you have a priest Supposedly representing Yodeh or Yahweh. And he's, Jesus in the story says he's going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And you have this man of God. Who also was responsible for temple maintenance. And he walks by. He sees the man and continues on his journey. You could say it this way. Somebody that represented God saw this man laying there and did nothing. And so the question is, why did he not stop? It's been debated. Trust me, I've looked at all the different interpretations. And the first interpretation, why this priest did not stop, was because the priest would defile himself. That is absolutely false. A priest could touch a person who was deceased. The only exception to that would have been a family member. This guy was obviously, in Jesus's narrative, was just a person who had been taken and beaten and left half dead. A second one, which may be closer to the truth, some argue that the priest was fearful that he would be robbed, thinking that Maybe the robbers are still in the area, and he needs to continue on. He was more concerned if that was the case, and we don't know that, but this is one interpretation. If that was the case, then in some way, I guess you could understand it, but still you have a a need right in front of you where a person has been beaten and left, supposedly representing God. A third uh, possibility is the priest had just finished temple worship that makes literally no sense because the temple worship was already done Jesus doesn't tell us why the priest was going down there but Jesus is making a point here there's one point to the story of the good Samaritan just one as is the case with most parables so we read now In verse 32, Jesus here is striking at the religious elite of the day. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. You have a priest, and now you have a Levite. Well, the Levites, and you see the Levite looking at this man and just says, I'm going to go on my way. I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep going. I see that that person has a need, and I'm not going to do anything about it. Now, the Levites, if you could look at this, I don't know if it's big enough for you to see it back there. You have the high priest, you have the priest, and then you have the Levite. The high priest is obviously the the top of the ladder. The priest is the second, and then the Levite was the third on the rung, if you will. So, Jesus is hitting the priesthood, and he's also hitting those that helped with the temple. They were descendants of Levi. They were descendants of Levi. They assisted the priests in the sacrifices. However, they couldn't perform sacrifices or rituals. They assisted, but they didn't actually perform those. That was done by the priest and by the high priest. They also policed the temple, Gentiles. Anything that was in there, they would make sure that it it was running up to speed. It's really an interesting case because the lawyer knew what Jesus was driving at. Because of the second question that the lawyer asked, And who is my neighbor? Jesus was a master at storytelling. And so he picks on the priesthood and the Levitical priest. Robert Stein, in his commentary, wrote this. Luke was not suggesting that since the Levites' duty were inferior to those of a priest he might have been more open to to help because the problem of becoming defiled was less acute. The only way a priest would be defiled in a situation like that was if it was a family member. Rather, he was emphasizing that neither practiced loving their neighbor. The issue is not my neighbor next to me, but all the neighbors we have around us. And there's times in our lives particularly when we see it on the screen and it becomes clear that there is a people in Ukraine that need help that we cannot idly sit by and watch and do nothing. We can't do it. We can't do it when we see a neighbor or a relative. We always help our relatives pretty well. But when we, as we live our lives, everybody that we come in contact with is our neighbor? That's the point Jesus is making. Even those that we don't like or don't agree with, they are still our neighbors. Because, as we'll find out in a minute, Jesus brings in what I call the nuclear option to this lawyer. Who knew the law? He knew how to interpret the law of Moses. But Jesus uses something here that shocks all of them. However, some will take action to help. But a Samaritan. <laughs> okay, if you want to enrage the leadership of the Jewish people, mention a Samaritan. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. You have to understand the Jews and the Samaritans have a long history. They were despised by the Israelites, even by the religious elite of the day. They, you mention a Samaritan and to, a, to a Jewish person, and particularly the Levitical priesthood, the priest, and the high priest, you would get a strong reaction. So Jesus says, this person that you despise was actually one that stopped. Not you high priest, not you priest who supposedly operate in the name of God, you didn't stop, you didn't do anything. We could say it this way, church, we can't sit idly by and watch this happen before our eyes. And I want you to understand, I rarely preach on stuff like this. This is like the second time in the 14 years that I've been here. But churches are starting to wake up. They're starting to see that we have to do something as a body of Christ. Samaritan Purse is out there. There's a lot of things starting to take place, and I'm very, very grateful for that. The big issue here, watch this, the big issue. When he saw him, he had compassion. Splunk nizomai. Beautiful word, by, by the way, compassion. To have pity, obviously. To love, and listen to the third definition here. To have one's heart go out to someone. So here you have a priest. seizing doesn't do anything the levite comes goes on the samaritan he comes by oh my gosh he has compassion his heart goes out to this man and this is exactly what was missing from the priesthood they had no they had no compassion They were high and lifted up on a pedestal representing God, but they did absolutely nothing. And yet Jesus says, okay, in this narrative, I'm going to give a guy that you all despise and dislike, I'm going to give him prominence because he had compassion. And when I thought about the Ukraine situation and think about everything that's happening, it, it, this has been weighing on me for, well, ever since the war started. About the third day I started realizing we're gonna have a humanitarian crisis on our hands because you got a madman in Russia that is invading and Ukraine's had its corruption, I understand that. They've, they've had a lot of corruption there. But now you have a situation Think about this. That's that's unthinkable. Get your minds around this. People lived there. And now it's been reduced to rubble. A lot of it. People sleeping in underground bunkers who are displaced. Be honest with you. uh, I know what I think should be done to Putin. And this is coming from a conservative Southern Baptist pastor. He needs to be taken out. This is the only way this is going to end well. You never hear me say, take somebody out from the pulpit. But the other pastors agreed with me. What about this? It's disgusting. One of our bombs missed. It missed 53 times. I know they're reporting 13 hospitals have been hit. No, 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 no. 57 have been hit. That is not an accident, that is on purpose. We look at this and we go, what kind of person could do this? We should have compassion for these people. It starts with the heart of compassion, something that was lacking in the so-called people of God who ran the temple, and Jesus targeted it. That was their main problem. They did not have compassion for people. It wouldn't matter. The man's not really identified here, just the fact that a man was laying there, and this Samaritan who was despised by the religious elite, walked by, he saw the man, and he had compassion for that man. Now if you're a who is my neighbor, the lawyer said, Who's who's my neighbor? And I would venture to say that Jesus knew he was talking about the Samaritan and put the Samaritan in the story to say that's your neighbor. Well, I don't like them. Closer to home. Brothers and sisters, we're called to like those that we have trouble with. How much more, when we see stuff like this, should we have compassion? Jesus goes on, verse 34. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Here you have the Samaritan who was traveling through The priest and the the Levitical priest just walked right by. The Samaritan came along. He saw the man. He had compassion, which, by the way, is the banner of the Christian faith, compassion. We were once reconciled to Christ because of God's great compassion towards us. Loving God means loving your neighbor. Maybe the person down the street, maybe The person at the IGA store that you run into that's having trouble. Have compassion for these people. The oil was probably used to soothe the person. And of course the wine was probably used to clean his wounds. The animal reveals the desperate situation of the stranded traveler. He couldn't walk. And the Samaritan knew that. And not only did he stop and help, but he put him on his own animal and took him to an inn. Typical like inn like uh, in the time of Jesus. uh, They weren't like holiday inns. They weren't like Marriott's. It was mostly open. That also was problematic because thieves would often visit those places. But he took him to an inn. And took care of him. So the question is, you have an issue here where those who proclaim to be working for God bypassed a man who was in need. It always gives me pause, too, when people come to the church. And they do come to the church looking for money, things like that. Uh, We need to be a little sensitive to that. We also need to be careful. I realize there's people out there that don't have the best intentions. But three or four times a year, or maybe more, I'm confronted with that here at church. And it... On one end, you want to show compassion to the person. On the other end, you have to be careful. Because there's some people that just want help because they need drugs or whatever. So the big question for us today, not only in Ukraine, but in our lives is, how do we respond? Let me say this, first and foremost, yes, pray. In fact, I want to remind you that um, I do have, this was put out by the International Mission Board. They're on the back table there as you leave this morning. Uh, Pick one of those up, read through it, and make, make praying for them a priority. We can't go to Ukraine. It's not safe. But that doesn't mean that we can't do anything. We can do something, maybe as a church or you as individuals. When we're passing by and it passes in front of us on our television screens, the, the plight of humanity, we can't remain neutral. Say, well, we can pray for them. Yes, we can pray for them. But there's also SendRelief.org which is the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Don't worry, I'm getting ready to show you a quick video. Uh, Audrey and I donated to Abundance International, which helps orphans. Uh, I checked that uh, Abundance International out. They are legitimate. Uh, your money goes to helping uh, orphans in that case. I'm gonna show you a quick video. I think the video's next. We're standing here at the border checkpoint, of the main route coming out of Ukraine and the city of Kyiv. We're here on the Polish side, and we've seen busloads full of women and children being brought out as they're trying to escape the advance of the Russian troops. We're here to say thank you, Southern Baptists, because you're here. You're providing relief and help. Hope to the hurting right now. Because if you're giving through a network of partners inside of Ukraine and all around Ukraine, we were able to respond quickly. We will continue to respond quickly. Your gifts are at work right now, and they continue to. So thank you for your generosity Southern Baptist. You can find specific prayer points and prayer requests, as well as the opportunity to give online at SendRelief.org. Yeah, actually, uh, they're they're in danger zone, our international missionaries over there. So pray for them as well, I think. I think that is on on the list. Here is their website. It's just sendrelief.org. It's a Southern Baptist. Get on there. Uh, you can see the yellow, give give, and then you can download the prayer guide. The same one that I'm giving you today. You can download it. Uh, another website is help the help the orphans in time of crisis, uh, and a lot of these shelters are not getting the food that they need because of the, the bombing and the war. Whatever we do, uh, we need to think about what can we do as a church, what can we do as individuals to help these people who are obviously hurting. Um, finally, let me, let me say this. It's not just the Ukraine situation. Every day, people around us are hurting. By the way, inflation, record high. Gas prices, record high. Food shortages. I went to one store the other day, and the shelves were empty a lot. I was surprised. So it's not just the Ukrainians. It's us. And so we need to be sensitive, have compassion for people as you go out this week and uh, think about these things. Things are tough. What should we do as believers? What can we do as believers to not just pass by the situation, but to actually stop and, and ask God, what can I do to help somebody who is hurting or having a difficult time in life? Don't be like the religious elite that just passed it by without stopping. Be like the Samaritan who saw the need, had compassion, and helped meet that need at cost to him. It's a good story by Jesus. It's a good story because... Realize, as we'll get into next week, realize that the gospel is, at its essence, good news for those who are hurting, those who are destitute, those who are trapped. That's who the gospel is for. It's those elite people who seem to be numb to the reality of the world around them. That have the biggest problem with the gospel because it forces them to humble themselves and to receive christ the good news is for the hurting and if the good news is for the hurting and the downcast and the and the beaten then that should be the banner of our lives as we go out today